0: The following is simply the opinions of two South Carolina citizens. The views expressed herein are not endorsed by any employers, family members, or government employees. This podcast may contain adult language, atypical thinking, and just plain craziness. Be advised that critical thought may be a side effect of exposure to this content. Enjoy the show. Conversation, Kershaw County. I'm Matt. I'm Mike. And we're here tonight with Victor Dabney. You go by Vic. Yeah. Vic Dabney running for, as the Republican nominee for House of Representatives District 52. The incumbent is a Democrat, Lori Slade Funderburk. So Vic, you're uh, born and raised here in Camden. That's correct. Did you join the military right out of high school? No, just a few years afterwards. A few yeah. years after? Did you go to some college or in between or are you just working? And-
1: i I um, actually had an appointment to West Point. Oh, okay. Yeah, and went to West Point and wasn't prepared academically. Oh. Um, so I I backed out of that and came back home. And It's understandable. Went,
2: they're they're went tough a, out there. Yeah, I yeah. yeah,
1: went a different direction.
2: Okay.
0: So when you uh, initially enlisted, what was your uh, MOS? I enlisted into the 82nd Airborne Infantry Division. Okay. So infantry. Yeah, I was airborne too, but I was a combat engineer. I was a sapper. <laughs> um, so we were kind of hand-in-hand cousins, basically. Yeah, I was in the second 325. Okay. How long did did it take you to go to warrant officer school?
1: I was in the 82nd probably about two and a half years Yeah. before a friend of mine. One day we were out in the field mm-hmm. at, at Fort Bragg, and a Cobra flew over cobra helicopter flew over very low and it just you know it was a routine event but it was pretty cool Mm -hmm. and i looked up and i said wow that's pretty cool and my buddy said you know you can go to flight school and i said really and he goes yeah so long story short i'm not joking eight weeks later i was in flight school (laughs) yeah
0: so when you go to warner officer school some people don't even know like anytime any school you go to in the army it's basically it's like going through basic training again you get harassed mm-hmm. and yelled at and screamed at and um, I went to drill sergeant school it's the same thing you get you have drill sergeants yelling and screaming at you and you got to do the whole basic training over again yeah and and then you have to go and learn how to teach teach each each task so you flew cobra attack helicopters what, I did what year was it, what year was this when you started
1: flying them I flew cobras 84 85 86 um about half of 87 mm. And then the Army sent me to Fort Rucker, Alabama to get trained up in the brand new, at that time, the brand new Apache helicopter. Yeah. And you the Cobra's
0: know? been in service since Vietnam, right? They're, they've been around for a long time. Yeah, and the Marines still have
1: still the Cobra. Using, yeah. but it's not the Cobra that I flew, but right. it, it's more like an Apache, actually. Okay, okay.
2: How'd you like the switch? How'd you how'd you take the switch from the Cobra to the
1: Apache? <laughs> when you're in one airframe and you switch to another, it's, it's um kind of a love-hate type of thing. Mm-hmm. You you want to stick up for the old model of aircraft that you flew, mm-hmm. and you kind of go kicking and screaming into the new model. But once once I saw the advantages that the Apache had over the Cobra, I, I fell in love with the Apache. Yeah. Same thing when I went from the A model Apache to the D model Apache that we call the Longbow mm-hmm. Apache. I did the same thing. Did not like it, thought it was too complicated, yeah. it was too many... <laughs> too many buttons. yeah, too many <laughs> buttons and gadgets, and it was all computerized. <laughs> but no, I love the the D model Apache is what I spent the the last eight years of my career flying and teaching, and I and I still teach D model Apache. Okay, as a civilian instructor. Oh, nice. And and South Carolina
0: National Guard has them here. Correct, over at McIntyre National Guard Base. Yeah, yeah. And those guys are good. I we used them when I worked on Fort Jackson. I was attached to the the naval. Uh, out there at Camp McCrady. We were training mm-hmm. sailors to go to Iraq and Afghanistan. I was doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu with a guy who flew Black, uh, Blackhawks there. And so he got us, we started talking, we hooked up. He got us a couple Blackhawks and a couple Apaches to come out and fly for our convoy operations and to do close air support and all that stuff for us. It was a really cool uh, little relationship we had going on there.
1: Yeah, those are the guys I work with. <clears throat> I've been out there at McIntyre for nearly 11 years now. Okay, all right.
2: So that's your your day job is is teaching
1: out there. still? Yeah, or? I work. I do classroom instruction and and mostly flights in the flight simulator. Okay. I don't do any flying anymore. Okay. Nope. Okay. Yeah. So
0: that's pretty much what I was going to ask about your background. So um, running for this House of Representative seat, what aspect of the military do you feel like you're going to be bringing with you to this
1: task you're about to undertake? Well, there's many different uh, aspects to the military that I would bring doing tough things with limited resources, Mm -hmm. you know, doing a difficult job in a difficult environment when it's not always the popular thing to do,
0: yeah,
1: but it's the right thing to do. Right. Being out on missions in the middle of the night when nobody else is around doing the right thing when nobody else is looking. Integrity. Integrity. Yeah. And just seeing parts of the world that have lost their, or societies or, or, yeah. Societies that have lost their freedoms uh, and their ability to self-govern mm. and watching what somebody thought at one point was a good idea turn into a disaster. Yeah. And like communism. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> communism, or, uh, you know, tyranny. Yeah. Sure. Um, and, and going around the world in different places and seeing that firsthand and listening to the stories of, of people um, mm. from these areas such as Baghdad. Telling, describing their life from the time they were a child till to, you know, well into their adulthood, living, never knowing from day to day what the rules are, mm-hmm. what, what, because they don't have a government like we have. Right. And it's all uh, government by mandate or by um, fiat. Sure. So, you know, anyway, things like that, firsthand experience. In tough situations, yeah, when when nobody else wants to do it and you and somebody's got to do it, yeah, and you just jump up and do it yourself,
0: and uh, that's kind of the way I started. This I was like, nobody's really saying anything. Mm-hmm. Well, shit, I guess you know, in the absence of orders, act. That's what we learned, yeah, you know. So this is it. I'm kind of shooting from the hip and doing mm-hmm. it. Um, so as a as a warrant officer in the army, as you're prior enlisted, and you become a warrant officer. You're kind of taken out of the Traditional leadership roles, am I am I right? But you still have, you're still kind of, you're kind of on the outside of that traditional officer, non commissioned
1: officer roles. Uh, more or less, you're not, you don't necessarily, you're not a squad leader right. like you would be if you were an NCO or a, a first sergeant leading the enlisted of a, of a company, and you're not a commander. Very seldom do warrant officers get to command. Yeah. There are exceptions. But as a warrant officer, you more or less lead by example.
0: Yeah,
1: You're, I was a flight instructor most of the time. Mm-hmm. So I had people within my company and later the battalion and later the brigade who, who looked up to me yeah. and, and followed my example. And I had to kind of ride herd on them. Mm-hmm. Um, the more rank I, i achieved, uh, I was the commander's direct representative down at at that level. where the the technical level. Yes. Yes. And I was the the technical Mm -hmm. advisor. And oftentimes, it was my responsibility when I saw problems to go down and fix them. Yeah. Uh, If I saw, whether it be flight behavior or even unprofessional things that may be occurring at the company or battalion levels, Mm I would go down there and straighten the guys out or attempt to. Yeah, because I would imagine
0: if a, an NCO went to a warrant officer saying, hey, you know, you, you're kind of out of lines here, the warrant officer would probably tell them,
1: you know. No, I'm, the warrant officer outranks all NCOs. Yeah. So we, But when we an re- officer
0: comes and tells them, they're like a lieutenant, to try to tell a of warrant officer what to do. They're going to be like, eh, man, you can get the hell out of here. <laughs> well, no, it
1: depends on, you know, I, I used to remind all my warrant officer buddies, especially when they made the the higher ranks, uh warrant officer level four or five, mm-hmm. that the uh, most junior lieutenant in the mm-hmm. Army still outranks you. Yeah. Because the way warrant officers, they they fall in between enlisted and commissioned right, right. officers. So, you know, I told guys, you respect that lieutenant and those and those captains. But they also respected us. They knew we had yeah. been flying for 10, 15, 20 years. And they came to us for advice and for for leadership. You know, the military is not like um or it's not unlike the business world or or your private life. You have formal leaders and you have informal leaders. And the warrant officers were more the informal leaders that shored up the leaders. Right. And you know, we I always reminded guys, you know, you're not the commander. You know, we're we're gonna follow the commander and we're gonna support the commander. We'll give him advice and and I used to, one of the big things I used to say is you give the commander advice, make sure he understands where you're coming from, and when he shakes his head up and down that he understands, then you're done. You don't, if you keep pushing that issue, now you're trying to wrestle control away from the commander. Sure. You give him the advice based on solid facts and data, rules and regulations or whatever it might be, and you let the commander take that information Mm -hmm. and make his own decision because as a warrant officer, we didn't always have all the information that the commander had. And I used to remind guys, you don't know everything that he knows. Right. So you're going to tell him what you know, and he's going to put that with mm-hmm. everything that he knows right. that he's getting from higher up and from other directions, and he's going to make his best uh, decision, and we're supporting that mm-hmm. 100%. And that's, that was my big thing later in, in the last four or five years of my career was ensuring that the warrant officers were always behind the commanders, yeah. always giving them support.
0: And that's, a, that's an important part about leadership is supporting, because you're not... You're not the top dog, no mm-hmm. matter where you're working. No, there's always, somebody always some of you. that. So you have to support them no matter
1: what. You can advise them as much as you can, mm-hmm. but eventually you got to do as you're told. Yeah, you back off, uh-huh. you, you make sure he understands, and you drive on and, and move on to the next mission. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, warrant officers are basically the technical experts
0: in their field. Correct. Whether it's engineering or. Um, the carpentry
1: or whatever. Artillery,
0: yeah. I think, has them now.
1: Um, there were 40s at one point, I believe there were 43 career fields for warrant officers. Right. So, for instance, in a in a maintenance battalion, right. you might have 900 people in a maintenance battalion and maybe four or five might be warrant officers. The The vast majority are enlisted and non-commissioned officers mm-hmm. and then you have just a couple of commission officers. Right. But the warrant officers were kind of the glue that that they held it the together, yeah. and they made sure that the technical areas were all being covered. And mm-hmm. in, in, in aviation, in army aviation, most of the pilots are warrant officers. Yeah. So in a in a typical company, you have sixteen pilots. So sixteen warrant officers. You have approximately twenty enlisted and NCOs. And you have two or three commission officers in oh, a company.
0: Okay. Yeah, I two lieutenants it was and a captain. I've always saw it was a,
1: a warrant officer in and the left seat, and officer flying the right seat. No, in a, uh, in a, a typical it? company, you only have three commission officers oh, and, okay. and sixteen sixteen uh, warrant officers. Hmm. And now in a battalion, you're going to have three companies of warrant officers. Yeah. So. Um, whatever that is, 48, yeah. 48 warrant officers. But you'll have, when you include all the commanders, lieutenants, and then all the battalion staff, you're going to have about 15 more commission yeah. officers. So, so quite often you'll be with a commission officer when you're out front.
0: And and that's why the Army works so well is because of the organization, the way it's set up um, with officers and NCOs and warrant officers. And everybody knows their role to play. Everybody, mm-hmm. you know, has their, their job to do. And it's everybody... Um, understands it and does their job. You don't see the full battlefield, but you know what's right in front of you and the guy
1: left and right. Yeah, and also I will say this, in aviation, as a warrant officer, any time, well, in in any aircraft, there's a pilot in command or a captain Mm -hmm. and then there's a co-pilot or a second officer um, uh, or first officer, but there's only one pilot in command. Every time you look up in the sky and you see an airplane flying over, I don't care if it's a two-seat Cessna right. or a 767, there's one pilot in command. That's right. So in the Army or in the military, that pilot in command is in command of that aircraft. So you might be a warrant officer as a CW-2 with six years experience and the battalion commander gets in the aircraft with you, who might have 15 years in the Army. He's lieutenant colonel. Ultimately, yeah, he's the commander, but for that flight, you're the pilot in command yeah. and the ultimate decisions rest on your shoulders yeah. for the safety of that flight. So so it's sometimes kinda of awkward being yeah. being you've got somebody in the other seat that greatly yeah. outranks you but um, you're still in charge of that ship for that period of time. Yeah, and my
0: when I was working with the Navy I had captains, naval captains, who just got off an aircraft carrier. And now I'm telling, teaching them how to shoot a rifle yeah. and, and telling them where to march. And, all, and mm-hmm. I was an E six. And I was like, I think we had the, uh, I don't know what they call them, the the deputy commander of the Naval Academy was there. And you know, I was like, what am I doing telling this guy what to do?
1: Well, you but, use military courtesy absolutely. and protocol. And, He's you know, like, hey, when you're, sir,
0: I, I need you to move your ass, please. Yeah. And you,
1: <laughs> you know, you show all the proper mm-hmm. courtesies. And you actually, you know, even in an aircraft, I would always give the. The higher-ranking officer, if there if there was one in the aircraft with me, I would always give them the benefit of the doubt. If it was either or, mm-hmm. I would do it his way. I wouldn't even say anything. But yeah. if it, if there was a safety issue or yeah. an issue of getting the mission done, mm-hmm. I would have to say, "Sir, that's that's not going to work. We're going to have to do it this way." Yeah. And, so the responsibility on your shoulders when you're flying an aircraft
0: and you're flying Apaches with you know Hellfire missiles attached to mm-hmm. it and, and you know, guns, machine guns and all that. That's a massive responsibility. To oh, yeah. Because
1: when you pull the trigger, you can't get that bullet back. Right. Or that missile. It's right. gone. And um,
0: and so you had how many years of
1: that responsibility? Well, I was in the military or in the Army 28 years. Right. As an Apache um, pilot and instructor pilot, uh, 20 years of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So making hard decisions
0: based off of the information given to you is not anything that's foreign.
1: No. You, um, you you know, time is your greatest resource. That's right. But when you run out of time, you have to make a decision. Yeah. And you do the best you can with the information that you have in front of you. And it might not be the right decision, but it's the best one you can come up with at that moment. Right. That's um, why we,
0: we always say, you know, in the absence of orders, act or in the absence, you know, yeah. uh, because doing something is better than doing nothing. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, is that really the case with politics? Doing something better
1: than doing nothing? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about that? No, because we shouldn't act, generally speaking, we shouldn't act in politics. We shouldn't act in a crisis. We shouldn't right. wait until a crisis to say we have to do something. Yeah. Um, because, in fact, most of my lifetime... When the government says we're in a crisis, we're, we're generally not in a crisis. They're just using that as an excuse to let's do something right now. We've got to do something.
0: And we're living in a time
1: right now. Yeah. And they've generated these different crises and say, we've got to do something. And you're right. They base it on fear.
0: Mm-hmm. And and they, and they use emotions a lot, too, like with this the mask ordinance, you know, saying, well, you don't care about old people. You want to just you want to kill old people by not wearing a, you're not wearing a mask. You're going to get somebody sick. And they look at, look at you like you're a monster or, well, me. They'll look at me like I'm a monster because I choose not to wear a mask. And well, you're going to kill my grandma. Well, if your grandma is that frail and ill, she probably should be staying home where it's safe. If you're worried about your safety, why are you driving a car on these roads? How many people every year die on these roadways just in Kershaw County? And then, you know, same people would be smoking a cigarette, talking about you're, you're, you don't care about anybody's health. Well, you don't care about your own damn health. Why the fuck would I care about it? You
2: know, I mean,
1: there's there's a lot of things to be concerned with. I don't think we're in a the only crisis we're in right now is pretty much generated by the government. Government They generate their own crisis, Mm -hmm. Um, and then they always come up with the solution because they caused the problem. And but getting back to your original statement, you know, sometimes you have to make quick decisions. Well, that's true in life. If I'm building. in addition to my home, sometimes if I've got a I'm by myself and I'm trying to nail up a wall, I've got it and it's starting off the winds blowing and all of a sudden I've caught myself short because I didn't short up properly or I didn't have my buddy come over and help me like mm-hmm. I should have now I've got to make a quick decision. Do I stick a few nails in here real quick or do I let the wall fall? Or do I grab that ladder as quickly as I can and shove it over here and brace up the wall? I mean, those are decisions in life. Sometimes you have to make quick decisions. But in government, government's a a large ship. It moves really slow. It's moving slow, (laughs) slowly. And we don't really need to do anything today that nothing we do today is probably going to make a big impact. So let's just settle down. In fact, I love to go back to the founding fathers. And I don't know which one or, or how many of them said this, but they they said that, you know, government should not act in a crisis. You should plan ahead, have enough forethought to try to think things out. The second and third or, order of effects, as we say in the military, or right. the um, one thing leads to another. As you, you know, when you were a child, you hear that. When you sure. know one thing leads to sure. another. Well, our founding fathers knew that one thing leads to another, and that's mm-hmm. what's why we're in the boat we're in now. Yeah. They saw this coming, and they put lots of checks and balances into our government to keep this from happening. And they had the forethought and the foresight and the and the great wisdom mm-hmm. to know that if we build this government, this structure, and people abide by it, mm-hmm. we can avoid this, the shipwreck that we're almost in right now. Yeah, we're close. So for the government today to be constantly... Acting in a crisis mm-hmm. or a, in, a, in an emergency is, to me, is scary because our founding fathers knew that. That's not when you make your best decisions. Absolutely not. Right. I think I think somebody has put a lot of thought into it, yeah. in my opinion. Somebody's put a lot of thought into this,
0: what's going on now. Yeah, but they pretend uh, not to have.
2: Right. <laughs> and uh, I feel like initially, like shutting the schools down, it was probably a good bet when yeah. we didn't know what was going on. Don't let on. anybody well, from China come in. Yeah. <laughs> we come, know what's going on now, <laughs> then it's right. not... The issue that it is so that, made out to be,
0: yeah, that kind of leads us into your policy and how you plan to represent our district in Kershaw County. Um, so, what are your thoughts on that? What do you, what would you say would be this is this is my platform. This is how I plan on representing the people of Kershaw County.
1: Well, in simple terms, limited government. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you and you just think of what all that means, but but less government, limited government which actually means lower taxes. Mm -hmm. I believe um, that the taxpayer is being taxed to death. The burden, the financial burden is placed on, on the middle class in America right now is almost unbearable. And that's got to stop. That pressure has got to be taken off the back of the taxpayer. Mm -hmm. So that can only come through limited government, less government, less bureaucracy. So, that with lower taxes and less regulations. We, we're regulating each other to death. Yeah. We're regulating businesses and, and private citizens to death to the point where people can't keep up with what regulation they're supposed to be abiding sure. by. There's too many of them. The book's yeah. too thick. And even when right. you call a government uh, official and you ask him what are the rules on this? Mm-hmm. What do I need to be doing? Right. They, they can't even tell you. They'll have to call you back. So we're, we've gotten, our government's gotten too big Yeah, in a nutshell. That, so, if, so, so if I'm elected, that's what I will be focusing on is trimming things down. Mm-hmm. You know, just like if you were going to go on a diet and lose weight, cut out the dessert, first of all. That's easy. No more dessert. So, so what's the dessert? The dessert, giving money away. You know, the, that's another thing the founding fathers said. The government should not be a charity. And our government right now is a big charity organization. They they more or less rob from the rich and give to the poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, they rob to the poor and
0: give to the poor. Yeah. You know, I'm basically, you know, I have to work two jobs Yeah, to pay my bills. I have and, to work two jobs. And I'm all
1: about charity. I love giving to people. I love helping people. I would put my record of charity up against anybody's, but I don't like money taken away from me without Absolutely. my permission. Absolutely. And given to somebody or an organization that I would not ordinarily support right. or otherwise support, so you say, what is the dessert? The dessert is quit giving my money away first of all, there you go. and then that that's a huge statement we uh-huh. could we could talk about federal aid to other countries all the way down to Kershaw County Council, giving money away to numerous agencies throughout the year, five thousand dollars here twenty five thousand dollars there um it all adds up. It's my money. I live here in Kershaw County. I don't like it taken from me and given to organizations that I, again, that I would not ordinarily or otherwise support. Mm -hmm. So at the state level, there's millions of dollars being given away. And, And I'm not saying it's not to good causes. Some of them are good causes. But if they're good causes, they will stand on their own two feet. That's right. If an organization... And I don't care. You just name a charitable organization. Let's say like Planned
0: Parenthood. Do you think Planned Parenthood would even exist without government aid?
1: I would like to find out. (laughs) There's no way. I would love to find out because I would love to defund them right off the bat. Absolutely. (laughs) Now, if they are so viable, then they should be able to stand on their two feet. And.
2: Let's just use Planned Parenthood as
1: an example. Since Matt, since you mentioned that, Uh okay, then if all these bleeding heart liberals love them so much, pull out your damn uh, checkbook and start writing them checks. Right. And get out of my back pocket. That's right.
2: It's just a lot easier to steal from all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Little by little and give a
1: big pot full of money to somebody. That's another thing you'll never see me doing when I'm elected, is standing behind one of these big fake checks, grinning from ear to ear, (laughs) telling. The people <laughs> look at what I've done for you, mm-hmm. holding up a check uh, from the state of South Carolina to whatever you know, it, you name it. You see them in the paper all the time. Local officials grinning from ear to ear, holding up a fake check, one of those big cardboard checks yeah. representing stolen money. It, well, <laughs> they never thank the taxpayer. Right, yeah. and that check was written by the taxpayer actually, or it, or it was taken from the it's taxpayer. Taken- By force. And if I ever stand behind, you'll never, I will say this right here tonight. You'll never see Vic Dabney standing behind one of those fake checks unless all the way across the top of it, it says from the taxpayers of South Carolina so that everybody knows where that money came from. It didn't come out of Vic Dabney's pocket or any other elected officials' pocket. It came from the taxpayers. And I've been to lots of events where these elected officials, Nearly break their arms, patting each other on the back about how hard they've worked to get X, Y, Z funds to whatever organization. They never once, and I'm 62 years old, and I've never once been to a, an, uh, an event where they thank the taxpayer. Not one time. No. Yeah, Zero. Well,
2: let us know if you ever do. Hear I would that, actually be floored if I that ever right <laughs> come there.
1: out of a
0: politician's <laughs> mouth. Um, <clears throat> so, what about laws? Like they're you know with the new ordinance that just passed in camden that you have to wear a mask i told people and people were saying oh it's great yeah we should have an ordinance in the city i said okay well here and i slam a big old fat book down on the table i said look at all these ordinances in the city of camden like like if you can't spit on the sidewalk you can't cuss uh you can't own a pinball gallery in the city of camden um what about these ordinances are we gonna if we pass one ordinance i think we should get rid of two that are are just useless on the books, right? Yeah. If we pass a law, there's pro- there's got to be dozens of laws that are just useless that we can get rid of that are actually harming people who don't even know
1: it's a law until somebody wants to get them in trouble. Yeah. yeah the you Matt, you're talking about uh, an area that um, it, it kind of identifies the the problem with our government is bureaucracy, right? it's these layers and layers of rules and regulations that people have forgotten why they're even on the books because different people get elected different people um are appointed to different positions and then you have different um other bureaucrats that are hired and hired in, into the county or to the to the district or to the state whatever and they just pick up where somebody else left off i'll use let me give you an example this happened to me in two different uh Positions I was in in the military. Later in my career, I was given the 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 unit uh, standard operating procedures manual mm-hmm. um, to review and update. And I remember I had just gotten to this one unit, and they said, uh, "Mr. Dabney, we'd like for you to," or the commander's, you know, said, "Dick, I'd like for you to uh, review the SOP and update it." So I started going through the SOP, and I would find letters in there from commanders, three, three commanders ago. And, and I would, I would pull it out and go, who's, who's Colonel Smith? That's at least a decade. Well, yeah, he's like, yeah, well, that was, you know, this was, he was the brigade commander three times ago. And this, this particular procedure was something that he really, it was like like his pet peeve. I said, well, he's not here anymore. He's probably retired. Mm -hmm. He's not even in the army. Why are we doing this? And then, so you could, you know, I would go page by page through these SOPs and I would realize <clears throat> some of the procedures were pertinent to the time period, right. Do, you know, based on technology or based on uh, the current situation in the world at the time. Well, that 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 situation had already changed, had already uh-huh. passed. But we were still doing that procedure, or at least it was still on the book. So, yeah, I would go through an SOP and I would rip out all that stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: And if it wasn't relevant and it didn't match up with our current mission. We didn't do it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I, several times I went through that um, in the last few years I was in the Army, and, trying to pare down a bureaucratic yeah. <laughs> uh, set of regulations. And the Army is probably one mm-hmm. of the most bureaucratic. I uh, would say the military is probably the <laughs> big. Well, it is. It's the biggest yeah. bureaucracy. On, it's a Well, it's a
0: military dictatorship yeah. that a lot of people don't realize that. And, um, you know, it's ruled by force by the Uniform Code of Military Justice, but it's also a volunteer. You volunteer yeah. to take part in it.
1: Nobody told you to, you had to be there. Um, I won't say it's a military dictatorship, so that's Matt talking. That's, me. that's not <laughs> absolutely, big, but uh, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm going to say it's a large bureaucracy because people come and go every few years. Sure, and yeah. there's mm. nobody has a job for more than, like I said, more than two or three years. Yeah. So the it's easy to get buried under these r- rules and regulations that were pertinent at the time were but are no longer pertinent. And also, I will say this about a bureaucracy, any bureaucracy. Nobody, it's hard to hold, uh, hold anybody accountable. Mm-hmm. People come and go in, in many different um, positions in a unit. The commander might change out every eighteen months to two years. Well, within that time, all the other unit uh, leadership within that unit has changed out. Right. So, to for the same leadership to remain in in that position in a position even at the company level for more than eight to 10 months is rare. So it's just a never ending revolving door. So when you finally do think that somebody needs to be held accountable for something, Mm -hmm. they they're long gone. And that's true in the state government. My God, there's no telling the, the the levels of bureaucracy in the state government, (laughs) you know, by the time you finally pare it down and find somebody, you know, try to pin the tail on the donkey, that donkey's gone. Oh yeah, you'll never find it. And it's every two years. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Just like uh, Congressman, you know, that's a two-year cycle. Yeah. So somebody could come in and and be in office for two years and be gone. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's it's it's a tough thing. Um, and being new, there's like a weird. Um rank structure within politics too when you're a new newly elected official and you're new to that they look at you at like you're a, you're a junior representative and then you have senior representatives and and there's like this hierarchy within this where they look at you like what are you trying to do you're a new guy you you can't do it. how are you going to ha- fight that
1: Matt you know you've met me yep. you, you can you're looking across the table at me right mm-hmm. now Mike you're looking at me I'm not new to the block. I'm not new to this game. I'm 62 Mm -hmm. years old, been all around the world multiple times, Mm -hmm. been in some terrible situations in the military Mm -hmm. where I was the only person that was going to save me. Mm -hmm. Okay, nobody in that state house is going to talk to me as if I'm junior. (laughs) I will straighten them out real quick. They will probably, when they meet me, they probably will not even go down that route. Because I'm not anybody's freshman. I'm not anybody's junior. <laughs> yeah. I've been through that. That's way beyond me. I'm, sure. I've got 19 grandchildren, four mm. children, 19 grandchildren. Mm. Thousands of hours flying attack aircraft yeah. in the United States Army. I'm not junior to anybody. Right. And I've met
0: your mom. I don't know. We talked before. I remember I told you I met your mom before. I met you. Um, yeah, she's, she's sweet you... as can be I can't believe you came out of her oh that, yeah so <laughs> she's the sweetest lady her opposite <laughs> she's sweet as can be um, so we talked about you know you're going to vote based off of your the way you want to
1: represent the people of Kershaw County right? I'm going to vote mm-hmm. the, the way I think it. the founding fathers would vote okay. I think about the founding fathers daily mm-hmm. people I had somebody not long ago I quoted the founding fathers mm-hmm. and this person said oh so all you can do is quote dead people i immediately deleted that person's name from my contact list i never want to talk to that person again yeah. the founding fathers to me are what we need to be going back to studying and reading what they the words that they spoke and the words that they put down mm-hmm. on paper so i'm every decision that i make I'm going to try to pretend like or that I could go back 240 years in the past. Mm-hmm. And what would the founding fathers say? What would, the, Dick, What would you know, Dick, this is how you should vote. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't have a new vision. My vision, I want to go back to the vision of the founding fathers. Well, that's actually pretty radical nowadays. I know it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. and, <laughs> and people, I've been accused of looking in the rearview mirror. You know what you know what? I do look in the review mirror. It's called history. Right. And history tells the story. History doesn't lie if you if unless you're easily deceived. But you can go back in history and you can see what works and what doesn't work. So I don't have this new shiny vision I'm. I didn't, I don't think I'm the smartest person on the planet, mm-hmm. or the smartest person in the room when I walk into the room, because I rely on the founding fathers, because I believe they were the smartest people. In they the room. were actually
0: incredibly philosophical in the way that they spoke and the way that they formed this republic. Yes. Um, and people say, "Well, we're, we're in a democracy." But that's not no. True.
1: It burns me up. That's when not I hear true. That. People, we're not in a democracy, and
0: that almost ends a conversation with me I'm like, "We are not a democracy." Democracy actually is almost mob rule. It is mob it rule. It is um, mob rule. It's 51 so,
1: times 40, over yeah. 49.
0: So, uh, and now this new ruling from the Supreme Court that that's saying states, the states have to support the majority of the voters in their state. I haven't looked too much into this ruling. I think it has something to do with the, they're trying to usurp the, the electoral college. college. Which is already
2: a mess in itself. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I yeah.
0: Uh, and that might be a whole other show we could get into all that mess. But, um, and that you know, here in South Carolina, we have a Republican form of government in our state house. You represent everybody; have represents their county. I think there is there two representatives per county.
1: No, it's based on. Well, that this is a long story, but it's it's based on population, mm-hmm. and each district is carved out by the members of the house. So <laughs> is gerrymandering is. That I, a, I didn't God. want to say that, but it pretty much is. But Kershaw County, as small as Kershaw County is, there are four representatives in the state house that represent parts of Kershaw County. <laughs> Unbelievable. Parts of it and parts of other counties. Well too, right? correct. The the Bethune Cassett Bethune area is cut out. Mm-hmm. It's in another district. From from District fifty two, which is what I'm running for. Right. So I the people in Cassett. And beyond, up and in through, and in Beth- up into the Bethune area, they're not rep- They won't be represented by me. Right now, I will represent them. Trust me. Yeah. Um, a- as the state representative, I will not leave those people out. But they won't be able to vote for me. Right. Okay. I can still represent them, and I'll still fight for them. But they won't be able to vote for me. Okay. The people in the Antioch community—they're cut out of this district. And again, they can't vote for me. But I will still represent them. And then. The the largest part of Elgin is cut out of this district. It's in another district. So the district that that I'm running for, District Fifty Two, basically begins in Liberty Hill and runs straight through the the heart of the county to Boykin,
0: mm-hmm.
1: over in the east into the East Camden area, up in the, but not up to Cassad and not out in, into Antioch, and then over across the river into Lugolf, but not Elgin. So it's it's very strange. Yeah, you would think that. I could represent the entire county. Yeah, but that's not the way it's carved out right now. I mean, we have a
0: county sheriff's department that covers the whole county and a fire service that covers the whole county.
1: It just seems, but that's not ridiculous. The way. It is. It's just
0: to create more jobs for politicians. There's 46
1: counties, that. and there are are 124 representatives in 46 counties.
2: <laughs> so there you go. Uh, that's silly. How long has the incumbent
1: been in office? I believe Miss Funderburg's been in office for this is maybe her sixteenth year. Okay, oh, wow. And That's she's eight a lawyer, terms, by right? These are two-year terms. They're two-year
0: two terms.
2: terms.
1: She's either in her seventh or eighth
0: okay. term. I can't remember. She's a lawyer by trade, right? I believe. Yeah, she is, and yeah. a small business owner. She owns yeah. uh, books on broad, and um, I think. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which is a cool little bookshop, yeah. nice coffee shop, and everything in there. Um, so when it comes to current events. You know, it might be coming right to the state house steps here soon, where people want to pull down that uh, Confederate soldiers memorial,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and it's right out front. You know, we had the big controversy with the flag on the state house,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and it was a big deal when it came down. In my personal opinion, the flag shouldn't have been up there in the first place, but it was put up during desegregation, and it was a protest against the government telling the state of South Carolina what to do. Um, And I understand that a lot of people here have very strong feelings about the Civil War, uh, the Confederate battle flag, and Confederate soldiers who died during that war, Um, in my opinion, and I've had family members who died fighting for the Confederacy, and I also have family members who died fighting for the Union. Um, in my opinion, they were, Amer- they were Americans, both sides. These these, and these young men didn't have any, most of them didn't have any choice in the matter, whether they went to fight or not. They were told to go fight. Um, there were a lot of volunteers, but not after a while, most, you know, towards the end of the war, there were a lot of cons- conscripts. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are your thoughts on this current events of, it seems like they're, you know, on one hand, it's a chance to set some things right, but on the other hand, some people are trying to just erase history, um, because the Frederick Douglass statue was torn down yesterday. Yeah, and he was one of the greatest abolitionist, and uh, I think one of the first African American politicians um, to to do it. And it's like they're, they want to take all the history away. It's it's pretty
1: wild. Well. I don't believe in the rule by mob. I I believe in the rule of law and the way our government was structured. Anything that happens with the monuments or with, you can't change, first of all, you can't change history. So you can't say, well, we can change history. No, you can't change history. But as far as monuments and flags, okay, that should be handled through the legislative process, um, period. Go go through your representatives and have them fight for you on the state house floor. But the mob rule, It's got to stop it. I spoke out. I've been speaking out about this for many, many years. Mm -hmm. It's not about what symbol you're talking about. Well, I don't care. Again, I don't care if it's a monument or a flag. It's it has to go through the legislative process and let the the members of the House all weigh in on it, Mm -hmm. representing their districts. And 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 this is something unique is I'm not going to do the thinking for the people in this district. I, I know what they want. If they elect me, I know what they want because they, they'll know who I am. Mm-hmm. They'll know what I stand for. And how you're going to vote. Okay. And how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote to represent them. Right. Okay. I'm not going to all of a sudden think that because I was elected, I'm the smartest person in the room, and now mm-hmm. I'm going to go you know, up baby. there and vote based on my best judgment. No, I'm mm-hmm. going to vote based on what the people of this district want. I'm representing them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I will represent the people of this district through the legislative process mm-hmm. Whenever those things come up on the floor of the, of the house, and whether it's what I believe deeply in or not, it's again I'm representing the people. Mm-hmm. They, there's there's 44,000 voters in Kershaw County, 30 something thousand in the district. So let's say 30 something thousand voters in District 52. All 30,000 can't go to the state house. Right. That's why I'm, you know, they elect somebody like me to represent sure. them, not to think for them. Mm-hmm. So if it, when when those votes come down, I will vote according to what the people want.
0: Yeah.
1: Period. Um, and then if it's not, if that's not satisfactory, two years from now, they can vote me out. But I'm, I'm going to vote the way the people want. Mm-hmm. So um, if I get elected, that's what that's. Pretty much that. I mean, there won't be any tricks with me or any surprises. You'll know what you're voting for yeah. when you vote for Vic Davison. Okay. Um
0: there's some topics that are near and dear to my heart that I wanted to ask you about. Before we get into them. Mike, do you have anything you want mm-hmm. to um, add?
2: We're coming up on your time. Yeah. Um, you want to get in a couple more? Yeah, let's just hit
0: a couple that... more. And I want to do a quick farm report, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I want to know what Vic's got in his garden. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what do you what do you think about Donald Trump
1: right now? How 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 do you think he's doing? I think Donald Trump, considering the attacks that he's the relentless attacks he's been under since since he was before he was um, sworn in mm-hmm. to office, I think he's doing a great job um, with with what he's got to work with. Yeah. He he's had very little support from from key Republican leaders that should have mm-hmm. rallied to him. Many. Years ago, three, four, three, three and a half years ago. Some from this state. Yeah. And they didn't. <laughs> um, they should now, because whether you like Donald Trump or not, he's the president and he is doing his best to represent the people. Just what I just finished saying about myself mm-hmm. at the state level. And, yeah, I think he's doing a great job. i would be honest with you. I don't know how he can keep doing it. He's under attack relentlessly. Yeah, I think there's been a number of. Plots foiled
0: that people are trying to kill them and Isn't all nice. sorts of crazy stuff Isn't that we nice. don't know about. Something that's new to the state of South Carolina is hemp farms, and as a textile, as a as a, a cash crop, the non psychoactive plant. You can't. I mean, I guess you can smoke it, but it's not going to get you high or anything me. like he that. Right. Yeah, but you know, rope and and clothing and concrete and is a lot. But something that could come up very soon is legalization of marijuana whether it's medical marijuana or just
1: complete ending of prohibition. What are you, what are your thoughts on that? I would, I'll be honest with you, Matt, I would have to do a lot more research on, on that, mm-hmm. but let me just go back to and just say right off the bat, the, the, the less government and the, and the more limited government intervention into private enterprises. Mm-hmm. I'm for that right off the bat. All right, good. So, you know you can buy alcohol which is does more damage and you know and I and I enjoy beer and and uh going to parties and having a good time as much as anybody mm-hmm. but let's face it alcohol has caused a lot of damage, not in America, in the world, in the world, in mm-hmm. the world, because it is a drug and it does impair your judgment and your mm-hmm. physical abilities when sure. when you've had too much. Cigarettes, I mean, Cigarettes. How many people die every year? It's almost five hundred thousand people die of smoking-related illnesses. Well, smoking and obesity <clears> or <throat> obesity is our number one health problem. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get away from this. I'm not trying to dodge this, no, this marijuana understand. thing. I want to come back to it. But you know, if we're concerned about people's health. You know, we would attack obesity first. So we'd go into grocery stores, and we'd say, "All these middle aisles have to come out. All the snacks, all the candies, all the drinks, soft drinks, got to go." But what about limited government and saying that's what I'm getting ready to say? No, okay, go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to say, but you can't do that. Yeah. Okay, people, I'm for I'm for uh, personal accountability. There you go. Okay. okay, I'm not obese, and I'm and I and I'm not picking on people who are ob- obese. I feel almost brokenhearted when I see them because I know they can't be comfortable. They can't be enjoying mm-hmm. life to its fullest. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's not as strong as the next person. And some people have weaknesses with food. Some have with alcohol. Some have with smoking. Some have with marijuana or other drugs. Mm-hmm. There, You know, I don't know of anybody that doesn't have some type of addiction. Yeah, sure. I don't care if it's <laughs> sports. It's a human thing. It's a human thing. <laughs> um, I don't care if... You know, you can call it an addiction or an obsession. Look at all these Clemson fans
0: running around wearing purple and
1: orange. I know. How crazy is that? (laughs) So I'm just kidding. But um, all right. For instance, and I'm not I'm coming back to this marijuana deal. Okay. Okay. I get up in the morning and I I used to be a big runner. Mm -hmm. I've pretty much my whole life been kind of a health nut. But without trying, without it being an obsession. So that's why I can speak from the from the heart on this. Mm -hmm. Um, But there were days where I couldn't get out and run and it would just drive me crazy. And when I say run, I I ran a sub three hour marathon in my life. I've run many 10 K's in 36 minutes or less. I was a very good runner Mm -hmm. up until I was in my mid forties and then just back pain and and whatnot led to, you know, to the point where I just couldn't get out and run. I used to love, I could run 10 miles like a deer. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. And I loved running. I loved going to the gym. If I miss going to the gym, same thing. I would get upset that I you know, wasn't able to go in there and get my workout. Okay, now it's bicycle riding yeah. because it doesn't hurt so bad. I rode my bike 20 miles today. I rode it 60 miles in the last three days Dang. up in those hills where I live up there near the lake. Yeah, it's it's in 92 degrees. My wife goes, you know, it's hot out there. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going riding ride my bicycle. <laughs> so I understand addiction. I understand obsessions. Sure. Everybody's got them. Um, so, getting back to the marijuana, in general, I think government needs to stay out of people's business. People should be held accountable. If you're driving down the highway and you have an accident and you've been drinking, not, not if you've had a beer. I'm talking about you, you're, you're drunk mm-hmm. and you have an accident, you should be held accountable. Absolutely. Okay, if you've uh, been up for two days straight and you have an accident, I'm sorry, you should be held accountable. You shouldn't have been, you were doing something very, very dangerous Mm -hmm. and you weren't fit to be driving an automobile. Right. Okay. Whether it be alcohol, fatigue, and I've done it. I've I've been, you know, and and we've gotten away with it. I mean, I've driven sometimes all night long where I could, I was, you know, blinking, you know, trying to get home after being gone for many weeks at a time or whatever. We've all pushed the envelope and thank God most of us have survived. Right. Um, And it's it it always ends in a sad event. I'm not, nobody, I don't believe, I've never rejoiced when somebody has an accident or somebody gets hurt or somebody goes to jail. Those are not times to rejoice. Those are times to feel sad for somebody because they pushed something to the limit and they didn't get away with it. So whether it be alcohol, drugs, um, uh, or whatever, uh, you know, and smoking's another thing. Smoking tobacco. That is probably, besides obesity, the number. It's probably the number two um,
2: leading leading.
1: cause of the leading causes of death, which are heart disease and cancer. Right, heart disease in in America seventeen hundred people a day die from heart disease <laughs> 1,700 people a day that's a real pandemic yes <laughs> <And the> biggest <laughs> two contributors
2: are obesity smoking, and smoking. Yep.
1: yes so if we want to you know if the government wants to really bear down on something and i don't think they should that would be smoking tobacco and overeating or or sugar which is very addictive
2: yes so they did just up the age to 21 for smoking yep. yeah for smoking mm-hmm. Maybe maybe they should do it with a... They should sickness. do it for everything.
1: Voting, enlisting <laughs> in the military,
0: everything should be 21. If, you know, opinion, maybe, I don't
1: know. I just, <clears throat> everybody's different. I know some 18-year-olds that are very accountable, sure. very mature, and I know some that are more, more like 10-year-olds. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm the most mature person in the world um, either. That's why I keep relying on the founding fathers to shore up my thought process mm-hmm. because I'm not... You know, I don't always make the best decisions, but the found I go back to their leadership and their guidance, and of course, um, predominantly not, pot farmers. <laughs> <them too>. um, <laughs> not to not to uh, uh, make religion a big deal, but I believe that the Bible is the greatest book ever written, and if you follow the the, the guidance in the Bible, it pretty much uh, you know it's it's the best owner's manual you could ever have. Do I follow it? The the way I should know I should I should do a better job with that. So between the founding fathers and the words they left us and the words that that our father left us, those are that's what should be guiding us, not the government. Um, But anyway, marijuana, whether it's legal or not, I'm not real sure. I just think the government should stay out of it as much as possible. And leave people alone. Let people do what they want to do as long as they're not hurting somebody else. And yeah. that's
2: what it boils down to. Yeah. And, and that's that's the thing I think that the younger generation would like our politicians to know is that these victimless crimes yeah. and the regulation against them there if there's no victim. Yeah, there is no crime. There needs to not be a crime. <laughs> there is no crime. And we just want to be left alone. And I to, agree with that. We, what
1: I do in my house and my backyard should be my business. Yeah. Uh, I, mm-hmm. and, and be honest with you, as long as I'm not. Hurting somebody else or, you know, hurting an, uh, an innocent animal. I'm just in my backyard doing whatever I want to do in my yeah. backyard or my house. I should be left alone. There's a lot of people that wave that don't tread on me flag that love throwing
0: people in jail for victimless crimes. Yeah. And it's, no. you know, they're like, you're not hurting anybody by smoking a joint in your bedroom. Yeah. Just like gay marriage. I mean... Who are you hurting? That's not hurting anybody. Yeah, I
1: don't, uh, who cares? The government shouldn't be involved in marriage, period, period. gay or straight. <laughs> but along those lines, I think people should, on the other end of this, they should mind their own business. Yeah. And if you are doing something in your home that you know is either illegal or not accepted by the mainstream society, well, then just do it yourself. Just keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Just mind your own business (laughs) and your neighbor will mind their own business and everybody will be happy.
0: Well, this is Kershaw County. I don't know how much everybody's minding (laughs) their own business around here, but uh, what are are your thoughts on term limits?
1: Well, at the federal level specifically. Well, I'll tell you, at any level, I've, I've told people with term limits, I've said we have term limits. It's called elections. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And I'm. That's been my stance for many, many years. Um, there's the big push for the convention of states, the constitutional convention, and, you know, to come up with a, uh, balanced budget amendment and, um, term limits. Well, here's what I tell people with that. A balanced budget amendment, for instance. If you can if I was king for a day and you came to me and you said, Vic, you're going to have to balance the budget t- tomorrow. Okay. I'll just raise your taxes. I balance the budget overnight. Yeah. I raise your taxes, mm-hmm. and now we're happy. So you got to be careful with when you're sure. pushing for a balanced budget amendment, amendment, because most politicians will look at that as a green light. Raise your taxes; yeah. they just balance the budget overnight. Yeah. Yeah. Now, fair enough. Now, with the term limits, there's some trickery going on there too. If you're not careful, but I think that elections should be the term limits. However, having after saying that, if you look at incumbents and their rate of re election. It's it's in the ninety percent range. You know. And it's because of Lindsay all Graham. The, <laughs> uh, it's because of all the free publicity they get, yeah. the money, the free money they get to free spend. They get to, spend, they, spend they get to help uh so called help so many different people using taxpayer money, not their own money. And they help people across the spectrum. They don't just help people that Think like them, their party or whatnot. They they help people across the spectrum, and they end up with a broad base of people that owe them something. Mm-hmm. So when it comes re-election time, they get again they get all that free publicity. They're always gripping and grinning at some event, holding a big check, getting holding those big checks in front <laughs> on the newspaper front of the paper. So the re- name recognition is astronomical. The money, the free money they get to spend, taxpayer money they get to spend to defend their positions is almost insurmountable. It's very difficult for a challenger to come out of the blue and beat an incumbent. So having said that, I might be for term limits. At some point, mm-hmm. in fact, I would just say that I'm, I'm beginning to, ch- after many, 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 many years, I'm beginning to think it's time for term limits.
0: Well, the discussion I had on Facebook right before we started, uh, somebody brought up that same point, voting is term limits. Yeah. Um, we're saying, okay, well, how about uh, no more pension for the rest of your life? Uh, you get the same health benefits that a soldier would get. Mm-hmm. You're You get the same pay as a soldier would get. And uh, you know stuff like that that would de incentivize people wanting to stay there for a oh, yeah, you know you you know we want a common folk to represent us, common folk
2: mm-hmm. um,
0: and when they get up there into d c it's they're they place themselves up on a higher level than the people that they're supposedly representing, and they get rich Amazingly. Oh, yeah, for sure you
2: hit on it right there with the uh, with the being owed favors, which is where most of these, at least at the federal level, where these politicians are gaining the vast majority of the wealth. Because if you look at the the, uh, the salary, it's oh, not that ridiculous. No. The no. numbers don't add up when you mm-hmm. see net wealth prior to election yeah. and net wealth after.
0: God bless the internet. Yeah. <laughs> what's <laughs> your CDs stance now.
2: on – I don't know how big the problem is with lobbying at the state level. What's, what's your stance with that, with uh, special interests – buying your vote effectively lobbyists won't like me yeah
1: period they won't like me again going back to what um matt said earlier about me being elected and being the junior guy on the block well let me tell you something junior don't play games and i and these uh, big shot lobbyists i don't care how much they're worth it means nothing to me not there's nothing they can do to impress me. There's nothing they can do to entice me or to uh woo me i don't I don't look at people that way no. in fact, they come into my office um they're liable to get spun around on their heels and kicked out the back out the door
2: <laughs> Good All right. good All right. that was the last thing I had yeah
0: um, what about a farm report Vic yeah, girl a garden girl
2: garden
1: Not right now I have yeah my brother's a big uh is big into that type of thing. He has lots of fruit trees and whatnot. Oh, really? We go out there and pick out there at his house. Okay. He lives on the uh, south end of the county down off of Black River Road. But, um, no, I'm all for, you know, people growing gardens. In fact, you know, going back in time again, looking back in the River mirror, mm-hmm. when people had gardens and, and raised their own crops and they were able to barter. You know, some guy might have had a, a patch of land that grew, corn very well and somebody else might have been able to grow collars very well or whatever yeah. and they swap back and forth um i think we need to get back to that because people nowadays don't know how to grow anything yeah, right. and when that grocery store closes yeah we're we're in big trouble they got a taste of it a few months back yeah you know. yeah my wife Real is very it. good at canning she likes canning and uh doing that in fact we froze we didn't can but we froze Quite a, I think it was two and a half gallons of blueberries that we picked at my brother's a few weeks ago. Mm. But no, currently we're actually building a, a new house. Okay. It's almost complete. And one of the things we want to do instead of planting traditional trees and shrubbery around the house, we want to plant fruit trees. Okay, that's, that's awesome. good. Uh, starting with, you know, peaches, pears, blueberries, uh, persimmons. I love persimmons.
2: Oh,
1: yeah. Um, blackberries. Figs grow really. Figs, yep, here. and and have it to where six months out of the year we can pick fruit. There's something there. There's yeah. something there to get. Um, Actually, and, your mom gave me a jar of fig preserves. Yep, she probably got them from my brother's house. <laughs> yeah. They were good, or the figs, not the preserves. Yes. Yeah, she, she made them. Preserves. Yeah, they were good. But somebody told me the other day. They said, Vic, if you. Plant all those trees out there. You're just going to be feeding the wildlife, and you know because we're, okay. we're building a house in the middle of a hundred acres, uh, way up in the near the Baron de Elementary School. If you're uh, familiar with that area, it's two miles east of Clearwater Cove on Watery Lake. But it's it's our hundred acres is surrounded by thousands of acres of timber and woodlands. I was going to buy a piece of property up there. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful up there. Yeah, but it's full of deer, full of wildlife. And you know what I'd say? I would love to get up in the morning and watch deer eating uh, pears out of my pear tree, or yeah. peaches, or um, figs, or whatever. You know they gotta live too. They're part of the the, mm-hmm. the ecosystem in in they're, nature. They're tasty too, just yeah. like fruit. So, so no, I don't currently have a fa- uh, garden, but we we're planning on. Uh, okay, well maybe that when you get get your house done and you start
0: planting, you can come back and talk, talk about, about here how yeah. you set it up because yeah. we're, we're we're real big on that being self-sustained. Uh, homesteading t- type of lifestyle and um, we're we're trying to get our audience um, involved in that as well you know chicken raising even if you live in suburbs you can have chickens in a little garden and you know have enough to trade with somebody like you said like my yeah. my yard grows jalapenos like crazy yeah. i can't grow corn with a dam so um i'll trade with somebody and um who is it uh tom webb Mm-hmm. was here on the last show. You know Tom Goatman? Yeah, I know Tom. He was on the last show, and he's got collard greens that he wanted to give me. I said, well, I'll tell you what. How about this? I'll trade you some blueberry jam that we, we picked blueberries right out of the backyard here yeah. in an undisclosed location deep in the heart of Kershaw County. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> um, but we, my girlfriend made blueberry jam out of it. It's pretty good. Kids yeah. already ate it. Yeah, off. it's had, so good. I had like one <laughs> um, spoonful. I wish I had a jar for it I could tell you that. Well, I'll jar tell you
1: home, two. But... No, not two. Yeah, About four years ago, I got into aquaponic Mm -hmm. gardening. So that's what I do. That's my thing. Okay. Well, I did that without going into all the great details of it. Um, I was very successful. Did it in my garage. Should have done it. Should have built a greenhouse, but I did it in my garage, thinking that it was going to there was going to be a lot of trial and error. Well, I got I thought through the whole process very diligently and um, like I tried to do everything, and I got it working right off the bat (laughs) and. The problem I couldn't get my tomatoes to produce, and I even at the state fair one one October I talked to the Clemson Extension fellow that was in the big booth there, or in the big pavilion area, and he had um, they had some an aquaponic garden going, and he said, Mister Dabney, he said up up at Clemson, we can grow tomatoes. The vines are thirty feet long, but we cannot get them to produce fruit. He said you're probably wasting your time indoors. That is indoors. Well, that Christmas, that was in October. At Christmas, I had tomatoes. Yeah. Huh. So I was successful. I had tomatoes in my garage. You were Clemson failed. <laughs> yeah. I, I Maybe I just got lucky, but I, I left the garage doors open a lot. I let the wind blow around and it to cross pollinate. I let the bugs and the bees in there and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so it was, even though it was in my garage, I kept the doors open a lot. Did you use fish? I used did fish. It, what kind I of fish used, did you use? I used, I used koi. Okay. Okay. Which I wish I hadn't have done. They were beautiful, mm-hmm. but they're expensive. You can and make th-
2: some money selling them though. Once I know. You roll out too, really. Well, I ended up
1: giving them away. Yeah. Um. It's a long story. They became very large. They were beautiful, but I ran out. The long story short is I ran out of room, and and they were starting to get sick, and I felt bad for them. Mm. The my aquaponic garden became a. F- I started falling in love with my fish yeah. more than the plants. <laughs> so it became all about the fish. And when the fish started struggling, yeah. I didn't like seeing the animals yeah. struggle like that and being held in captivity. So I gave them away to a, a lady, a, a friend of mine that took them to a pond and she's, a, her sister had a big pond, uh, you know, big uh, koi pond mm-hmm. and they flourished there. Great. But I, I went ahead and got out of the aquaponic business for now. Next time I do it, I'm going to use, Pond fish, like yeah, yeah, That's what, that's what, that's what I do. Is. I just go
2: throw a minnow trap yeah. out, in the, out in the pond and yeah. bring them up. No yeah. attachment whatsoever. That way I do <laughs> fall in love with my koi.
0: So, yeah. All right. So, Vic Dabney, we thank you for coming. When's um, this
2: election coming
0: up? November 3rd. November, November 3rd. 3rd. This will be on the ballot with the big, the big boys, the, the yeah. presidential election and all that. Um, I know you, you took a risk coming out here to come on the podcast because you
1: didn't really know what this was all about. Not really, but I mean, I don't. Risk doesn't bother It didn't matter (laughs) because I was going to say the same thing no matter where I was at or who I was talking to.
0: We we really appreciate you coming. And um, you and Tom Webb were the two people that when we started this, we were like, we got to get him on the show because (laughs) Tom Webb is a legend in in Camden, in Kershaw County. And you kind of are, too, because you never were in politics, but you're always kind of floating around. In the political, I've world. supported
1: a lot of politicians. You have an opinion and, and done yeah. and supported um, some referendum or fought against some of these uh, local issues. Yeah, yeah. so I, I've been very involved mm-hmm. in politics. I've just yeah. never run, you know, put okay. myself up there to run as a so candidate.
2: You're. Uh, Vic Dabney talk. led the way on this one, so yeah. we're looking at uh, a few of the other fellows we've been calling out to come on the show. Yeah, so uh, Russell Brazel. Mm-hmm. If Vic Dabney mm-hmm. can do it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you might have to end up making me run against you as a Democrat, man. <laughs> I think it's too late. We can do a right in. Yeah. Uh, but um again, thank you. So you're you're uh, uh environmentalist, worry about you know, you take care of your koi fish and your aquaponics garden and you're you're a warrior, served our country, you've been involved in politics and now you're trying to represent the people of Kershaw County, District fifty two. And if people want to get a hold of you, and do you have an email address, or you normally uh, through Facebook? Or
1: well, you can look at my Facebook page, which is simply Vic Dabney. Mm-hmm. You can go to uh, votevickdabney dot com, okay, which is my web page. Okay, um, VoteVicDabney at gmail dot com is my email. So votevicdabney at gmail. Okay, Vic, vicdabney dot com. Okay, and then uh, we'll Vic Dabney on up. Facebook, and Victor <clears throat> Dabney. I actually managed three Facebook pages: <laughs> Kershaw County Republicans, oh okay, yeah, Victor right. Dabney, and Vic Dabney. Okay, okay. Uh, my actual campaign Facebook page is Vic Dabney. Okay, okay, all right.
0: So we'll put links to that underneath the episode on the Vote Map page, which you're a member of. And so when we post the show, we'll tag you in it. You'll be able to see when it goes live. We will. Await everybody's questions and comments, and um, hopefully we can get some support drummed up. Or maybe people decided after this interview they don't want to vote for you.
2: Hey, um, it's their
0: choice. That's their choice. That's right. That's what makes you agree.
1: Supporting me either way, though, right? Representing me either way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't make people vote for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I just tell people, you're not really voting for me. You're voting for freedom and liberty. No. If you love freedom and liberty and you want a smaller government, you want to pay less taxes, mm-hmm. you want lower regulations or less regulations, then vote for me. But it's not about me. It's not my my life. On November the fourth, w- will not be um, affected by this election too much, one way or the other. Put yeah. it that way. I'm okay. doing this for the people of this district. I'm giving a. Uh, when people say that there's uh, serving, I'm I'm giving up a lot. If I win this election, I'm giving up a huge. Financially, it's gonna. I'm taking a big hit. Mm-hmm. It's gonna change my life. I'm going to dedicate myself to this district which I already do in a lot of ways, and to this community, I pretty much l- live every day as if I was serving this community. And, and November the 4th, if I'm representative-elect, it'll it'll greatly change my life in, in, a, in a hard way, in a mm-hmm. difficult way. Yeah. Um, I'm going to lose financially. I'm going to lose a lot of free time. I've got 19 grandchildren. <laughs> I don't need to be doing this. I'm doing this because I feel like it's it's a burden that's been placed on me that I feel like now's the time It's now or never. It's like the old song says, if not you, then who? If not now, then when? And now is the time for me. And this is a huge sacrifice. Um, The best thing that could happen to Vic Dabney, personally, if I was a selfish person, would be to lose and November the 4th going about my life. Mm. But I I can't. That's not me. I want to win because I want to serve and show the people that you can actually be an elected official and care about the people And it's not a game or it's not a show. Mm -hmm. And um, I started out this campaign by putting my own $10,000 up of my own money um, right off the bat. And I have greatly sacrificed so far. For this, yeah. this is not a game for me. This isn't. This isn't a lot of fun. No, you can tell. You yeah, can I'm, tell. I'm not playing around with this, and I don't need the the accolades. I don't need the recognition. Just getting back to what you said, Matt, about me being the junior guy on the block. No, I'm not the junior. I'll never be the junior guy on the block. Okay, and I don't need anybody's pat on the back or anybody's. Uh, in fact, if the first guy at the state house that comes and tries to pat me on the back, I'm liable to bite their hand. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, thanks for having me. You are right,
0: welcome. Thanks for coming. Thank we close you. every show. And you may not like it, Vic, (laughs) but we always say, people of Kershaw County, open your minds. Don't trust the government. (laughs) And Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. Thanks,
2: guys. Thank you. All right. (laughs)